It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Hope you had a great day. Hope you're going to have a great weekend. It's coming your way first. Uh, a lot of news. we got Phil Bennett. He's the guy, the former, uh, and I think the first uh, Secretary of Education under uh, President Reagan, former drug czar uh, for President H.W. Bush. He's going to be talking about uh, what's happening with CRT and from a reality perspective. And when the head of the players, when the head of the teach players union, uh, when the head of the teachers union comes out and says, we don't teach you K through 12, and then gives examples of how they're going to teach you K through 12, what are we supposed to believe? Uh, then we're going to speak to, first we'll speak to Senator Dr. Uh, Roger Marshall about this budget moving through that Joe Biden's going to be proposing, as well as this partisan bill they want done by July. Is that indeed possible when it comes to infrastructure? But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. Our military commanders advised me that once I made the decision to end the war, we needed to move swiftly to conduct the main elements of the drawdown. And in this context, speed is safety. Guess so. Uh, President Biden explains his rapid retreat from Afghanistan. An argument, yes. A good one. Filled with facts, no. I will explain. Number two. When you come for our kids, it becomes personal. And certainly, I will take every skill, every lesson that I've ever learned throughout my career and fight to ensure that our children all have an educational future that guarantees that they will be successful in life. Ian Pryor, a parent and a legal eagle, you know he's a Fox News contributor, and they've got into uh, his curriculum for his school, and he's been fighting ever since. The critical race theory, which is so critical to the future of our country, now hits new emotional highs on both sides as they dig in. But you know what? With school, a new year, months away, just a couple of months away, it's time for Republicans to win this one. Number one. The federal government has had to spend trillions of dollars to try to keep Americans alive during this pandemic, so it is absolutely the government's business. We want to give people a sense that they have the freedom to choose, but we hope hope they choose to live. Yeah, Secretary Xavier Becerra, is he kidding me? He's going to make us take the shot? Third shot, knock on our doors, report to the government our vaccine status. This is totally out of control. Can someone tell the Biden administration to back off? You made your, we've made our decision as a country to live or die. You never take in natural immunity. If we had it, we have the antibodies. So we will. And what, on top of that, too, as we look at uh, what's going on with the pandemic and the fight against uh, the coronavirus, the China virus, this is what I think people should keep in mind. And should, should government keep this in mind. Uh, we, uh, I, I had the, I had the shot. I'm not going to tell anyone to get the shot. I don't want that responsibility. I am not qualified to tell you that. And I don't think just because you're a doctor, you're qualified. You got to do your research. You got to make your calls. This is under emergency, emergency authorization. I felt comfortable to do it. That's me, but I'm not going to condemn other people for not doing it. Here's why we all had the option to get it and we've made our decisions to get it or not get it. I, you went maybe, may, uh, going to maybe go. 
uh, grab a dune buggy and go go on the beach and through uh, the dunes. Maybe you're going to go jogging through Death Valley. Maybe you're going to go cliff diving. It's not up to me to decide. Maybe you're going to go jet skiing. People say that's too dangerous. It's not up to me to decide. And when it comes to COVID-19, I don't know if you've noticed, but as a country, we're doing better than anybody else by far outside Israel, which is so much smaller you can't even scale it back and put it in proportion. But now they're saying we're going to knock on your doors and remind you as if we don't know. Now they're saying we're going to have your status. And now you're urging, in some cases, businesses to decide to fire you or not hire you depending on your status. Excuse me. If I get it and these vaccines are as effective as you tell me they are, it's not going to be a worry. If I actually contract it, these symptoms are going to be very mild. If you real, This is the two things that you can do right now if you really want America vaccinated. Number one, admit President Biden that President Trump's administration under the Operation Warp Speed provided this, the conditions that they put forward to allow scientists to flourish, buying these vials ahead of time before they were even, uh, even concocted, was a huge risk, and it worked. Say it came from the Trump people. So if people are holding out because they don't trust Joe Biden, remind them that President Trump's administration came up with it and was already putting shots in arms for a month before Joe Biden took office. Number two, tell everybody that you are concerned about the different things that have propped up that have been mysterious illnesses since getting the vaccine whether it's swelling of the heart, fluid around the heart that's causing people uh, to be hospitalized and changing their lifestyle temporarily, maybe forever. Find out why. Number two, when, whenever possible. And then you find out, for example, I'm watching this woman on with Laura Ingram last night. Partially, she's partially paralyzed from the vaccine. Not everybody gets partially paralyzed. Very few. But don't you think we, people would feel better about it if you actually showed interest as an administration? While acknowledging natural immunity, get over it from Anthony Fauci, enough. Listen to this guy. We knew he was over his head as Homeland uh, uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, but now we prove it. Listen to Xavier Becerra, cut three. The federal government has had to spend trillions of dollars to try to keep Americans alive during this pandemic, so it is absolutely the government's business. We want to give people a sense that they have the freedom to choose, but we hope, hope they choose to live. We hope people make the right choices. We want them to have the right information, but we are America. We try to give people as much freedom and choice as possible, but clearly when over 600,000 Americans have died, The best choice is to get vaccinated. That's your recommendation. But saying because you spent a lot of money we should do it is wrong. That's not the way our country works. He is also not a doctor, which I don't even know why he'd get that job. He doesn't have a medical background, but he got it. Let's see. Uh, So far, not impressed. And so far yesterday, he had to immediately walk that back because he went out there and basically said it's the government's job to find out if you are actually vaccinated or not and urge you to do so. He said, quote, in, in a tweet. Some comments I made today are being taken wildly out of context. To be clear, government has no database tracking who is vaccinated. We are encouraging people to step up to protect themselves, others by getting vaccinated. It's the best way to save lives and end this pandemic. Also, don't tell me this variant is lethal and we'll have to get a third shot. So far, experts are saying it is not and and our current vaccine works well against it. So don't say the Delta variant changes everything. Dr. Anthony Fauci, remember when he said this, cut four. This is not complicated. We're not asking anybody to make any political statement one way or another. 
We're saying try and save your life and that of your family and that of the community. Here we have a vaccine that's highly, highly effective. It's easy to get, it's free, and it's readily available. So, you know, you, you, you've got to ask, what is the problem? Get over it. Get, get over, over this it. Poli- get over it. What's your problem? How about acknowledging that this swelling of the heart is happening, that some, in some cases the paralyzation happens, and you've never thoroughly investigated why some people have such severe ramifications for getting it. I mean, I had zero symptoms. But I have no people that said this was like I got the virus again after they got the shot. When you start acknowledging some of the things that people are going through, they feel you're being honest. When you are candid about who came up, what administration came up with the virus, they feel you're being honest. That, to me, is what's effective. And we'll discuss this throughout the day, but this is not going away. Also, I think disingenuously, the Biden administration keeps emphasizing these milestones when it comes to the pandemic because it's their only good news story. The ransomware has gone unchecked. We see the disaster pull out of Afghanistan. We see inflation running at 5%. We see common goods all going through the roof from gas to lumber. And there's a situation now when it comes to crime in America, only 33 percent approve of the way Trump, excuse me, of the way Biden is handling it. When it comes to the border, 36 percent thinks he's doing well there. The CRT is extremely controversial. So what are you going to emphasize? You're going to jam this down our throats. Victor Davis Hanson cut seven. Every one of those issues that you mentioned, Laura, crime, uh, inflation, the border, critical race theory, racial relations, China, Polls, Democratic polls, insider Democratic polls show that Biden's not polling 50 percent. And that should tell us something. The only one that he is is on COVID, and that's because he just inherited the Trump Operation Warp Speed, didn't touch it, plagiarized it as his own. And had he done that on the other issues, we had a secure border. We were starting to really make progress in getting back without printing more money. We wouldn't have had inflation. He would have been okay. And then the three things that he's trying to use in lieu of being popular on the issues is what? That he's not Donald Trump? When we come back, Senator Dr. Roger Marshall about this, the agenda, getting an infrastructure package passed in the in the fall and the, and the method, no, actually in the fall in July, and the way in which Mitch McConnell says they got to get back to the House. Then Bill Bennett on CRT from this real intelligent perspective. He's as patriotic as they come. He also knows the education system and what they are actually capable of doing from Washington and not doing. When we, It's busy hour. So glad you're here. And then after that, I promise to get to your calls, one 408 You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. If I become the majority leader again, it's not for stopping everything. It's for stopping the worst. It's for stopping things that fundamentally push the country into a direction that at least my party feels is not a good idea for the country. And I can make sure Biden keeps his promise in 20 to be a moderate. And that is the hope. Republicans obviously hope to get the Senate. It'll be easier to get the House. Senate will be a tougher haul, but it's not impossible by a long shot. They could do it. Senator Dr. Uh, Roger Marshall certainly hopes that's the case, the Republican at Kansas uh, in his first term. Uh, Senator, uh, how, how how real is a Republican take back of the Senate when you talk to your colleagues and, and the political experts and operatives? Well, Brian, I think it's a it's a coin toss right now, right? There's so much time between now and November 2022, uh, but it just seems like the more rope we give the radical Democrats, the, the easier our path is going to be. Um, I'm confident, but certainly not cocky. As my coach used to tell us, right, be confident but not cocky about it. I think that there's certainly a path to victory, but really the the radical Democrats are our best, you know, they're, they're our best helper getting this job done. So I'm confident that we can get it accomplished. When what we're seeing out here uh, are, are just uh, people so upset with all the crisis that this White House is creating. And I think that we'll have a good group of people that they'll get out and vote uh, for conservative values. So I think one of the big things is what's happened at the border. I just think that that's an American problem. When things were going wrong for President Trump, it was a uh, it was an American problem. But he acknowledged it and he fixed it. And now it's a mess, and they won't acknowledge it, that there are kids going through emotional trauma just stuck at these military bases with no hope of getting out and no clear program uh, to get them through. I don't even know why they're here to begin with. Senator Tom Cotton says things are about to get worse when it comes to immigration. Just look at the budget. He gave us a heads up yesterday. I want to know if you can relate to this. Cut 44. This crisis is about to get a lot worse. It is the result of Joe Biden's rhetoric and his policies. First, he promised open borders in the campaign. All those migrants heard it. Second, he reversed a lot of highly effective policies, most notably the Remain in Mexico policy. But now we're about to have a a situation where the Democrats are going to pursue amnesty in their coming budget bill. This is the word we've been getting over the last couple of weeks. The Democrats want to include a massive amnesty Mm. in that legislation. That will simply act as a bigger magnet for more illegal immigration into this country. Have you heard that? What could you do to stop that being it is does involve finances, which means simple majority? 
Yeah, right, Brian. So first and foremost, violence is, is America's number one concern right now. If the polling doesn't show that, it soon will. And part of this violence is created by this open borders and just the culture that social Democrats have created, this culture of it's okay to have riots, vandalism is fine, we're not going to track down criminals, we're going to have open borders, we're not going to kick out illegal immigrants. So this whole thing is coming to a boil. It is coming to a boil. Um, this is something that the president has created, and it's something that he could fix as well. And, yes, it's going to get worse if, if the White House is unwilling to change its policy. I guess so. So you have not heard that yet? Is this the first time you're hearing that? It, it is. It is, actually, yes. Unbelievable. Uh, we're now we're hearing there's a big push uh, for a possible third shot when it comes to this uh, Delta variant. You're a doctor. Do we need a third shot? Brian, no. I, I'm just beside myself. This is this maternalistic projection of Dr. Fauci, uh, this Marxist maternalistic projection. Uh, the, the Delta variant, see, let me think, the, 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 the vaccines that we've had, I get pretty excited about this. Let me calm down. <laughs> I'm so upset. The vaccines we've had, if you've had two of them, are 94% effective at preventing hospitalization from the Delta variant. Does that make sense? 94% effective. So why do you need a third shot? Uh, and I, I do think that every every shot more you get, the more your reactions are going to be. Your body is building this immune system. I'm absolutely convinced that most of the serious reactions we're seeing, especially young adults right now, are probably uh, young adults that have already had the virus and it's an autoimmune response, where, whether it's pericarditis or an autoimmune problem. So I'm very hesitant. I don't see any science that would support this. Uh, this, uh, this administration just wants to be your mother. They think that they know what's best for you and what's best for your children. Uh, and that's that's probably number two, what people are really upset about. We were doing, we did four town halls yesterday. We're going to do four more today out here in Northwest Kansas. And people are just livid about their constitutional rights and their privacy being threatened. Uh, no question. And when it comes to uh, the physical crime and punishment, there's no punishment and there's a ton of crime and the permissive behavior and the vilification of the cops in real time has caused chaos in major cities. What are you seeing in Kansas? Well, we are having enough chicken violence in our big cities. You know, rural America is still rural America. Uh, you know, the, the, we support the sheriff. We stand for the flag. Uh, but we're seeing the uptick out there in those in the in the big cities. And, and Brian, you probably don't know this, but my dad was chief of police for 25 years uh, in my little hometown of El Dorado. And I'm just telling you, he says the officers feel like the leadership from really goes back to President Obama. Obama and now President Biden is accentuated. They just turn their back to the to the police, and they've created this culture. This is a huge national cultural crisis right now, where we don't respect law and order, and without law and order, we're not a nation. I hear you. Uh, the other thing that's happening is our nation's vulnerable to cyber attacks. We just saw what happened. They want $70 million ransom uh, from this cyber company in Miami. The president is looking to downplay this as well. But we're seeing this nonstop. American people are seeing this. They feel vulnerable. They wonder why. What's the reality? Are we capable of hitting back and putting up? Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Up Our own shield? Well, that's, I, I think we are, Brian. Uh, but this is, again, another crisis created by this White House that foreign countries think that we have a weak president. So I have sat in military institutions and financial institutions and watched these cyber attacks come over. Ninety-nine percent of them are from Russia, China, North Korea, Iran. So you know, what's the commonality there? Totalitarian governments that are hooked up with their military that are – that this is like business to them. That's what Americans need to look. This is like growing a business in those countries. This is a business called cyber piracy attack the Americans, attack the dumb Americans. They're not going to do anything. Nothing happens in those countries without their totalitarian leaders knowing it and taking their piece of the pie of this. So if our president won't stand up and say enough, it's even worse. He goes in and says you can hit anybody except these 15, and we're not going to do anything. So are the ones that were hit this uh, past two weeks, were they not on the 15? So Putin knows it's okay. We it's need a president that's going to stand up. And I do think that gotcha. uh, our military has the ability to, to respond. Senator Marshall, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Coming up next, Bill Bennett, CRT, and then your phone calls. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't know why people find me so threatening. I'm a journalist. I just uh, produce journalism. And I think powerful people have a uh, big investment in maintaining the status quo. They don't want us to recognize uh, the systemic inequality in our country because if you recognize that, then you have to fix it. So I've just kind of been caught up in this larger, um, you know, concerns about the demographic shifts in our country, about the balance of power in our country. And, uh, you know, trying to really silence me at the university is part of a wave of these anti-1619 project, anti-critical race theory, anti-history bills that are being passed. I agree with some of that. Uh, anti-1619 project, yep. Uh, anti-critical race theory, yeah. But it's not because you're a journalist. It's not because you're in the way in telling the truth. It's because you inaccurately portray the truth, in my mind, and so, so many others. For example, that the War of 1776, you know, the American Revolution, was fought for slavery because we wanted to keep slaves? Totally wrong. Did the country start in 1619? That's not exactly the case. Built on slavery? Not at all. Critical race theory? We learn about history. We don't learn about the vilification of white people and the victimization of black people. Joining us now to discuss this and see if he agrees, Bill Bennett, former education secretary under Ronald Reagan, historian in his own right, uh, drugs are under Bush, Fox News contributor and host of The Bill Bennett Show and the podcast. Uh, Bill, how do you feel about what Nicole Hannah-Jones just said in her characterization of how she's been uh, attacked? Well, she has been, uh, of course, treated like a delicate flower by the universities. So the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill first wouldn't offer her tenure immediately. Uh, so she decided to withdraw. Then they changed their mind and decided to offer her tenure immediately. Not good enough for her. So she's going to Howard. No, she's got it wrong. She's got most of American history wrong, as does uh, critical race theory. What's the damage? What's the damage into, into getting American history wrong? Well, you know, it's hard to love a country, to say nothing of defend a country, 
uh, when all you know about it is its faults and its blemishes, uh, and many of them indeed made up uh, false. Uh, you know, for the first time, Brian, we're seeing a poll of young people uh, saying a majority of them are not proud or very proud to be American. Um, that makes a difference. It makes a difference in terms of people's sense of themselves, their, their country, their inheritance, and what they're willing to do for their country. Uh, we can say that uh, we are the greatest country in the history of the world, which we are, but we have to demonstrate that to our children. They, don't, they aren't born knowing that. And critical race theory and some of the other things going on in the schools are exactly opposed to that. Um, you're you're kind of alien to yourself uh, if you grow up in a country in which your past is denied. You have to find out where it is you live, why you live here, and what people did in order for you to live well here. It's been well said. You know, it was well said way back when, but 19th century. If you were born in Britain, you won the lottery. Now, you know, if you're born in America, you won the lottery. Yep. By the way, all the, pe- all the people streaming in at the border, they're making a judgment about America. And meanwhile, that it's a great place to come to any way you can get here. Meanwhile, these professors are saying, no, it's not so good. But they're staying here, too. Getting hurt from the inside. So we have this critical race theory, and people say it's been financed by Republicans looking for an issue, a culture war. That's just not true. This is, in, this is something that's been no. exposed primarily through the pandemic when parents are, are looking over their kids' shoulders and say, what are you learning? What is happening? But yet Randy Weingarten said this on Tuesday, cut 11. Critical race theory is not taught in elementary schools or middle schools or high schools. It's a method of examination taught in law school and in college that helps analyze whether systemic racism exists. So what are we to believe? What's happening or what she's saying? Well, you got to believe your own eyes and you got to believe what your kids are, are bringing home. And as you said very well, looking over your shoulder uh, during COVID to see what's going on in the schools. Unfortunately, almost every bad idea in the university trickles down to the high schools and the schools. I wish some of the good ideas trickled down, but that doesn't seem to be the case. No, it's clearly uh, true that uh, critical race theory is being taught in schools at various levels with different titles, with at a different angle. But the point is, you're white, you're privileged, you are not a good person. Uh, you're black, you are not privileged, uh, you are an excellent person. And a victim. And that attitude of being a victim is just such a an attitude that gets you nowhere in life, and the smallest issue or the biggest issue. Yeah, the problem is uh, if you get kids to believe that they're victims and that their situation is helpless, hopeless, then what's the point of trying? What's the point of effort? Uh, and that's the last thing uh, that should happen. I remember when the Secretary of State for Education in Great Britain visited United States with me, and we went into a classroom, and there was a classroom of young black children here in the District of Columbia. And he, as we got back in the car, he said, you know, the reason you're a great country, a greater country than ours, is your young children, those eight, nine-year-olds, really believe in it. They believe they can be something. They believe they can be an astronaut, a doctor. Uh, And that's uh, one of the things that critical race theory is killing. It is. And what do you do about it? 26 states says uh, brought lawsuits. If you teach it, you're going to be in trouble. These um, these uh, teachers union says we have going to provide free legal 
uh, support uh, should you be challenged by a Republican-run uh, state that wants CRT banned. Where's this heading, Bill Bennett? Well, uh, the you know it, the issue is joined and the battle is joined, and the teachers unions have now said they're going to bring these uh, you know back back these lawsuits against parents. So it's parents versus unions. I've been saying, you know, Brian, for fifty years, you're not that old, but I've been saying it for fifty years that these teachers unions are a real problem. Now Americans uh, understand this. Uh, what it's coming to is a major clash and major in cities all over the country, communities all over the country. Uh, and when it's all done and settled, I think we're going to have a huge push uh, for something I've been urging a long time, which is school choice, universal school choice. Parents don't like what's going on in a particular school. They go somewhere else. Also going to see a huge pushback against the Department of Education uh, and the government uh, here. You know, we saw this story about knocking on doors to see if you're vaccinated. Now we're seeing stories that the Department of Education is pushing this program, pushing this curriculum. It should not be doing that. Uh, more engagement of parents, uh, more battles, and I hope in the end uh, parents will win. The communities will win. The public will win. I believe we will. I think it's important. Out of the issues, if I was to ask you, Bill Ben, I know you got to run to a TV hit, so the last question. If I was to ask you, what are the top three issues going into 2022 you believe Republicans should emphasize? What do you think people the American people and voters care about most? Top three. Uh, crime, immigration, education. No doubt. Uh, thanks so much, Bill. Appreciate your insight, uh, especially at a time when so much emphasis, justifiably so, is on education. Appreciate it, Bill. You betcha, Brian, as always. Bye-bye. You got it. Uh, so we'll watch Bill Bennett on television shortly, one 866 But I do want you to hear this on the same topic. Uh, in terms of people who say that, te- that this is not being taught in school, it is flat out wrong because the whole reason we're debating it, that it became to, uh, came to the forefront of my mind, it's not because I was focused on colleges and we see this campus reform on colleges and we see the anti-American uh, curriculum on colleges. When Ian Pryor, who is a Fox News contributor and legal expert, when he saw this was happening in Loudoun County, Virginia, he had to take action because he was being vilified in social media by people that were not on board with critical race theory. Listen to what he said last night to Laura. This Cut whole 14. thing about, you know, going after parents because, oh, hey, they may have worked in politics or, you know, they may be Republicans. It's actually laughable. And all it does is fire up people like, yes, I have been a lawyer. I have worked in politics. But now those things, those things are jobs, right? When you come for my kids, when you come for our kids, it becomes personal. And certainly I will take every skill, every lesson that I've ever learned throughout my career and fight to ensure that our children all have an educational future that guarantees that they will be successful in life. Back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. So let me ask those who want us to stay. How many more, how many thousands more Americans' daughters and sons are you willing to risk? How long would you have them stay? Already we have members of our military whose parents fought in Afghanistan 20 years ago. 
I will not send another generation of Americans to war in Afghanistan with no reasonable expectation of achieving a different outcome. All right. Number one, a couple of things. Now, Joe Biden believes this. This is what he believes as uh, chairman of foreign relations, what he believed as vice president, what he believes as president. So he's consistent. Some people listening to me right now say, well, Donald Trump wanted to pull out in May. Conditions based. He wanted to pull out in May. He wanted to say talks with the government. First, he was having talks with the Taliban, uh, not him, but people. And then the Taliban was going to meet with the Kabul government. They're going to have a series of talks, at which time there'll be pullouts that would happen. I spoke to senators very close to the president. They believed that he would have left a shell of a force there if it meant losing the country. We're about to lose that country, or the Afghans are. It's going to take within six months. It's going to happen. They've already handled a lot of the corridors where a lot of fees are paid uh, between Iran and Afghanistan. Wait for more of that to happen. So that's a good question. The question is, um, how many more thousands, how many more American daughters and sons are you willing to risk? All I will say this most of the men and women I know that fought over there want to continue. The officers had contacted me, uh, two of which work at CENTCOM, uh, really believe that everyone at CENTCOM understands that our pullout's going to jeopardize national security. What are we celebrating in 20 years? Not celebrating, but marking. 9-11, 20 years since the attack. Why don't you think that has happened? Because we've kept constant pressure, first and foremost in Afghanistan, which has been a breeding ground for terror. Back to that question. How many thousands of other Americans' daughters are you willing to risk? It is a risk fighting. It is a risk joining. It is a risk being at uh, Camp Pendleton. It's a, it's a uh, risk being at uh, uh, Fort Bliss. Everybody knows that. Benefits there. People want to serve their country. I understand it. But what you have to understand is we have enemies called Iran, China, and Russia. Where are those bases located that we paid billions of dollars for? You paid taxpayer dollars. Whether you're giving $5 or $5 million, they paid for those bases. To get sophisticated weaponry. We had a strategic approach. We also are working on deals when it comes to rare earth. The other place where there's rare earth, China. If rare earth supplies our keyboards, supplies our computers, we absolutely need it. And the reason why they call it rare earth, because there's not much of it around in Afghanistan. We have earned their loyalty, especially in Kabul, for people that don't want to blow each other up, especially to women who don't want to spend their lives in a burqa behind closed doors, pre- uh, prevented from going to classrooms. Did a lot of great things over there. We had some missteps over there. Granted, people talked about not being, you know, going to Iraq instead of Afghanistan and finishing that. Okay, that's fine. But you can't have it both ways. You can't say it's impossibly successful in Afghanistan and then blame Iraq that we're not successful in Afghanistan. So when you look at what's happening, the decision we made, if you are uh, for us pulling out, I don't want to hear you saying one word when the Taliban take over that country, when fundamentalists now welcome in China and Russia. They've already reached out to Russia to say it will not be a base for terror activity. How do they know? How do they know? When have they ever when have they ever been true to their word? So more from Joe uh, uh, Biden and he what he was saying yesterday. Here's some of the Q&A. Cut 20. Do you trust the Taliban, Mr. President? Do you trust the Taliban, sir? You, is that a serious question? It's absolutely a serious question. Do you trust the Taliban? Do you no, trust I do not. Over the country to the no, I do not trust the, the Taliban. Will you amplify your answer, please, why you don't trust a, the Taliban? It's a, it's a silly question. Do I trust the Taliban? No. But I trust the capacity of the Afghan military, who is better trained, better equipped, and more, re- more competent in terms of conducting war. That is not true. The, ta- the, the Afghan army is not uh, capable of fighting and well-equipped as any army in the world. That's just not true. General Jack Keane, cut 26. 
You pull out U.S. air power, they don't have an air force like we have. Uh, they have some Black Hawk helicopters and C-130s, but not, not the precision fighters that we have. You take that away from that ground force there, and it becomes vulnerable to the Taliban. And you're already beginning to see that evolve. And there's something that we, we had predicted would actually happen from, from a military perspective. I know it's a hotter spot than Japan, Germany, South Korea, but it would have benefited us to stay there and have a presence and prevent our enemies from doing the exact same thing. Do I think Iran's going to be welcome? No, Shia Sunni, I get it. Do I think the Russians going to be welcome? Well, we know they have a history, I get it. Do you think China's going to be welcome? Yeah, I do think China's going to be welcome because they're going to come in and say, I don't really care what you do to your people. I don't care what you do to your women. We do worse, even though they should not welcome in China if you are a true Islamic fundamentalist because they are but they are basically torturing the Muslim Uyghurs over there, using them as basically harvesters, killing them, first taking their body organs and then putting them in concentration camps. But they'll accept them because these Taliban people are a bunch of uh, phony fundamentalists, as is al-Qaeda and ISIS. So when, you are, when we have a presence there and we go out the— Afghan government, the ones that are capable of providing any, uh, you know, any part of economic benefit to their country, when we do that, they gain. We would gradually decrease our financial commitment to them. That would happen without a big announcement. It would show vulnerability. We would pressure Pakistan on their help for the Taliban, and together, each year would have gotten better. And there was no clamor to pull out 2,500 troops when there were already 5,000 NATO troops. It was more than enough. There's a, I understand people are tired of it. But understand people that fight there aren't. Cut 25. Michael Waltz, Green Beret, served. We have no other bases in the region. Uh, so, you know, he, President Biden's talking about over-the-horizon counterterrorism. That is incredibly dangerous and difficult. When our military leaves... The CIA and our intelligence community leaves. So we will, if not be blind on the ground, we'll be legally blind. And the important part is that all of our contractors have left, too. And our contractors were providing maintenance for the Afghan Air Force. So not only is our air support left, uh, pretty soon the Afghan air support is going to be grounded. And that was our biggest advantage yeah. on the battlefield against the Taliban. You didn't have to and be now the uh, they're out on the ground. The Afghans are doing the fighting. We were in a supporting role, but that support was critical. And now it's gone. And yet about uh, a thousand contractors or between 200 and a thousand, I'm not sure in the exact number, that said, I'll stay. You provide security. I'll stay. I'll continue to upgrade and maintain this air force that we gave them. Continue to coach them to make sure they are. Maybe have a rotation through our air flight schools. I know it's because we're 9-11, our, our flight schools in America and make sure they continue to train there and they hold on. But right now, the Taliban said they're in control of 80 percent of the country. They lie. They're probably in control of 50 percent of the actual land. Are they going to get Kabul? Eventually, I have to think they're going to get it because so far the Afghan army hasn't shown much willingness to fight. And it was Joe Biden that just said, I'm done. I'm finished. I'm through. But as they say, the enemy has a vote. In terms of people that have helped us over there, Joe Biden's optimistic. The president, cut 21. Our message to those women and men is clear. There is a home for you in the United States, if you so choose. And we will stand with you just as you stood with us. But they need a way out. She, he says there, are, there is. There's a lot of concern that there isn't. Certainly not going to be quick enough. My hope was, by the time we're ready to leave, they would feel secure staying. Some are, but most aren't. Or some are saying, I feel secure, but I'm out. 
Uh, but they shouldn't because it's going to be risky. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want the real story of Texas and in the Alamo, pick up Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. That's the true story, not this other one on the cover of Time Magazine, as well as Thomas Jefferson, the Triple E Pirates. Also have a young reader edition of that and the George Washington Secret Spy Book. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade coming with the Brian Kilmeade Show from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Bottom of the hour, the former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, James Starvitas, will be with us, the Admiral. And Dan Henniger is standing by with the Wall Street Journal. We're going to bring the intellect up a notch. 1-866-408-7669, the number uh, to be part of the show. Of course, we hope we everybody's ducking and able to survive that tropical storm that was supposed to be a hurricane as it moves up and down the uh, East Coast. It was kind of blitzing. It was kind of a, a, a blitzing of rain earlier today, but it's calmed down. I understand it was a little challenging in Florida, too, and South Carolina. So we'll get through that, and now let's get through the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. Our military commanders advised me that once I made the decision to end the war, we needed to move swiftly to conduct the main elements of the drawdown. And in this context, speed is safety. Uh, That is uh, President Joe Biden explaining the rapid retreat from Afghanistan. An argument, yes. A good one filled with facts? No. I'll explain. Number two. When you come for our kids, it becomes personal. And certainly I will take every skill, every lesson that I've ever learned throughout my career and fight to ensure that our children all have an educational future that guarantees that they will be successful in life. Uh, Ian Pryor describing life in Loudoun, uh, Virginia, and he is fighting back against critical race theory, which is so critical to the future of our country. Now it's hit a new emotional high on both sides of the issue, with school about to start in about a month. Look for that to really heat up. Number one. The federal government has had to spend trillions of dollars to try to keep Americans alive during this pandemic. So it is absolutely the government's business. We want to give people a sense that they have the freedom to choose, but we hope, hope they choose to live. Right. Third shot, knock on doors, report to the government, our vaccine status. This is totally out of control. Could someone tell the Biden administration to back off? We have made our decision. We'll live or die with that decision. It is none of your business. And joining us now, Dan Henniger, deputy editor of The Wall Street Journal. Dan, welcome back. Good to be with you, Brian. Dan, they're so I don't understand what this administration is doing. They got one good story to tell. It's on Donald Trump's warp speed product called two vaccines, three vaccines, counting Johnson and Johnson. They say don't let politics get into it, but they have not gone out of their way to acknowledge what I just said, which would make maybe some Trump supporters who don't trust Joe Biden feel better about it, need to be reminded of it. They don't want to make that leap. But they've been relentless in saying they're going to be all over you until you take the shot. Why? Well, uh, you know, there is a belief out there that the vaccines do protect you from uh, COVID-19. I don't doubt that. I mean, I have been vaccinated. A lot of people have been vaccinated. It allows you to travel, for sure. Uh, But now they're talking about uh, 
you know, there's I think, Brian, there's really kind of an interesting uh, public policy issue being raised by this because there is resistance to doing this. There's resistance. There uh, post the, the newspapers are saying it's mostly among Republicans. Well, it's also among black Americans who've had bad experiences with the health care system. And one of the things that's being reported is that uh, the administration is hoping to get more vaccines to family physicians and to pediatricians. Well, you know, that really raises an interesting question, because you can recall last year when they started talking about the vaccine rollout, uh, all of us, not at least I did, many of us thought, well, yeah, I'll go to my family doctor and get the vaccine. Family doctors and primary care physicians were totally cut out of the loop. Good point. They, mean, they went totally silent. And the administration of the vaccines was through the established hospital system. Now, they did a pretty good job. But this is an enormous bureaucracy. And people we know don't trust the healthcare bureaucracy. Uh, Black Americans' experience with uh, medicine is mostly through Medicaid, right? And I think what we're learning here is that it's very important to bring family physicians, primary care physicians, who people historically have trusted, right, Brian? We both grew up with family physicians. And if they tell us we should do something, usually say, well, I trust my family doc. But they got cut out of the loop, and now I think the bureaucracies and the federal government are paying the price of a lot of doubt out there among American people who don't want to deal with those bureaucracies. You write today about equity and equity war, uh, and you talk about everything from global equity to uh, equity within our country. And this administration is looking to talk about inclusion, diversity, equity, uh, advanced diversity at every every turn. Uh, I find it dizzying, either that or climate change. Whatever it is, it can be solved by any of those terms. What was your point of writing this today? Well, my point was that uh, the, the Democrats, Joe Biden, I mean, they feel they can apply equity to everything. And I think, you know, diversity, inclusion, they're kind of sentiments. But equity is an economic argument. And the idea is that some people, some nations have more, some have less. And that through government policy, fiat, we can compress the space between them, Uh with government plans like Biden's American Jobs Plan and American Family Plan, spending upwards of $6 trillion uh, and issuing one executive order after another that basically reorders uh, the American economy. My argument is that the goal of equity uh, has been tried in other countries, like the ones surging across the southern border, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, Equity, social equity, which is really socialism, uh, is the reason there is such great inequality in those countries. They know that those equity policies have failed. And uh, if Joe Biden imposes them on the United States, we're going to go in the opposite direction. There will be more inequity in the United States. So I think this is a battle. It's like the culture war, Brian. It's it's, it's the equity war, and I think it's going to have to be joined by conservatives and Republicans. Point well taken. Let's move on to something tangential to what you're saying, and that's what's being taught in schools. 
where it talks about equity again. We're talking about uh, blacks are victims and whites are oppressors. And please tell me why that wouldn't hurt young minds and actually sway them into thinking America bad, white people bad, white males the worst. Uh, blacks have no chance because they're oppressed. To me, it's it's a lose-lose wherever you turn. Some people are realizing that, but not Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's on another network. She's the author of the 1619 Project, who was not offered equity at the University of North Carolina, then was turned it down and went to Howard. She said this about the pushback on that critical race theory, cut 12. I don't know why people find me so threatening. I'm a journalist. I just uh, produce journalism. And I think powerful people have a uh, big investment in maintaining the status quo. They don't want us to recognize uh, the systemic inequality in our country, because if you recognize that, then you have to fix it. So I've just kind of been caught up in this larger you know, concerns about the demographic shifts in our country, about the balance of power in our country, and, uh, you know, trying to really silence me at the university is part of a wave of these anti-1619 project, anti-critical race theory, anti-history bills that are being passed. Not anti-history, anti-her version of history, uh, anti-her version of uh, race that she got, uh, she has now made part of a curriculum. Is she just a journalist? Dan Henniger? Uh, she's an activist, and uh, as many journalists are today, but she is a hyper-activist. I love the idea that she's being silenced. I think I just heard, listen to her, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> She's not being silenced. You know, look, Brian, cr- critical race theory, uh, black life, critical race theory was an academic idea instituted uh, in law schools and uh, basically argued about in academia. Black Lives Matter used to be mostly an activist group that not too many people knew about. But what has changed is that it is now being introduced, uh, not merely in colleges, but in primary and secondary schools around the country by school systems. And this is where the rubber is hitting the road. I mean, most people in this country, I think no matter their politics, think that the what that Martin Luther King's notions of integration is what most Americans have been moving and working toward for the past 50 years, right? Suddenly, they're waking up to find out that, no, that's wrong, that the United States is guilty of systemic racism, that the races are separate, and that they should be recognized as separate. And parents are just saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Uh, I've spent my whole life trying to integrate the races. And that is why you're seeing these political battles being fought uh, in places like Loudoun County. Uh, And I think, Brian, this is going to become a big political problem for the Democrats, because next year they're going to be running in a lot of swing districts uh, in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Virginia, New Jersey. And it's moms, it's parents, it's suburbanites, some of whom indeed voted against Donald Trump in the last election, but I think are moving against the Democrats because of uh, what they're doing with the schools. And you know what? The average moderate Democrat really is not going to be able to stand up and defend critical race theory and uh, what these are, what these people are arguing. So I think they're very, very nervous about where the politics is, of this is going. Uh, yeah, but they don't seem to be shrinking from it. And try to make sense of this. Uh, Randy White. Randy Weingarten said this about critical race theory. She didn't first. She says she'll fight for anyone who wants to teach it, but then said this earlier. Cut on Tuesday. Cut eleven. Critical race theory 
is not taught in elementary schools or middle schools or high schools. How can you have it both ways? You Well, that is what the left does these days, uh, Brian. It's, I mean, it's becoming, it's, it's just fascinating how they tell these extraordinary whoppers. How about the one I'm sure you were talking about a week or so ago, uh, Chris Wallace's interview with uh, Cedric Richmond, who purported that <laughs> the Republicans were defunding the police. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I've never seen anything like that. And now you've got Randy Weingarten arguing they don't teach this stuff when the National Education Association's House of Delegates just voted resolutions this past week to indeed go into the schools and teach this stuff. As to Randy Weingarten herself, that is a really good question. This is a smart, hard-bitten union leader. She knows what the game is. And uh, she's either trying to get out in front of a union uh, membership that she can no longer control, or, quite frankly, I'm coming around to think maybe Randy Weingarten actually believes this stuff. Unbelievable. I want you to hear more from Nicole Hannah-Jones on why she didn't take North Carolina's laid offer on tenure, went to Howard. Why did you decide that it would be Howard? Now, I raise that question because some would say, look, Howard already understands this. Would you be more effective working for, say, a predominantly white university that may need to understand the work that you do? Yeah, you know, I have been very, very thoughtful about my decision uh, to go to an historically black college. And what I decided is, uh, since the second grade, when I started being bused into white schools, uh, I've spent my entire life proving that I belonged in elite white spaces uh, that were not built for black people. And I just decided, you know, I got a lot of clarity through um, what happened with the University of North Carolina. I decided I didn't want to do that anymore, that uh, black professionals should feel free and actually perhaps an obligation to go to our own institutions and bring our talents and resources to our own institutions and help to build them up as well. This is not my fight. Uh, I fought the battle that I wanted to fight, which is I deserve to be treated equally and have a vote on my tenure. I won that battle. But it's not my job to heal uh, the University of North Carolina. That's the job of the people in power who created the situation in the first place. They needed to be healed in North Carolina. What do you think about that argument? Well, I don't think they need to be healed in North Carolina. North Carolina has made a lot of progress. Uh, her comments are actually very intriguing, quite frankly. It's hard to quite figure out what she's saying. But she seems to be suggesting that she's going to retreat into kind of the shell of uh, a black-only uh, environment. Um, God knows those black universities around the colleges around the country are one of the gems of American education. They're extraordinary places, and that does include Howard University. But as I was saying earlier, Brian, Martin Luther King's goal and vision was uh, integration for American society. And Nicole Hannah-Smith sounds as though she's throwing in the towel on uh, King's vision and is going to retreat into an enclave like this, which just strikes me as a a zero-sum strategy that uh, it's not only going to be difficult to sustain, but difficult to get very many Americans to join her in. Never met her, but the 1619 Project in that series has so many holes in it, I'd retreat yeah. to, uh, because she's getting a lot of scrutiny these days. And uh, she created a firestorm, uh, threw a grenade, and now wants to run for the hills. Thanks. Uh, Dan, great column. Always, great, to, always great, uh, great to get your perspective. Appreciate it. 
Great talk to you, Brian. Have a good weekend. You too. Wall Street Journal's editorial page deputy editor. We come back. Your calls, I see up there, 1-866-408-7669. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When I noticed the guy was almost on TV as much as Fauci, mm-hmm. when you see people on TV that much, as much as Fauci and as much as Avenatti, there's always a big, big crash. Kill me and better be careful. That was uh, Jesse Waters going after me. But uh, on a serious note, Michael Avenatti's uh, fall from grace uh, was not predicted by me. I thought to myself, this guy can't be for real. He's just relentless. Where'd he come from? Going after Trump. Going, He actually got Michael Cohen to be able to prevent some uh, bringing Stormy Daniels forward. Then you find out that he didn't even let Stormy Daniels get all the money she deserved. He took $300,000 from her and then countless others that he defended. They would get big awards and he'd keep all the money. And then, of course, he starts going on every single show. And everybody loved this guy. Every show, every network, except ours. Let's listen. You got lucky tonight. We're back with attorney Michael Avenatti. He is a main player. Sitting beside me right now. I'm not going to let you cheat. You, you have to guess. Uh, and hint, his name is Michael Avenatti. Okay. <laughs> and, um, Look, I think you're doing a hell of a job. I don't think you're in this for money. To me, you're like the Holy Spirit. You are oh. all places <laughs> at all times. He's out there saving the Look, country. It, you know what? I'm- He's a rock star, I think. It'll be interesting to see his next check. Absolutely. Michael Avenatti for president in 2020. He's Donald Trump's worst nightmare. Michael Avenatti. Existential threat to the Trump presidency. Please welcome attorney Michael Avenatti. Looking ahead to 2020, uh, one reason why I'm taking you seriously as a contender is because of your presence on cable news. I wrote about this saying you're currently leading the pack among 2020 contenders on, on the Democratic side. You believe this? They don't even know who he is. They haven't even checked his background or his clients, and they're looking to annoy him, and they could not book him more on more different networks except ours. He came out and was convicted of, and by the way, I think he's getting away with a lot, two and a half years in prison for uh, charges of trying to extort $25 million from Nike uh, when he represented a Los Angeles Youth Basketball League organizer. Uh, he had ended up uh, sponsoring the league. Avenatti used illegal extortion threats and betrayed one of his clients for the purpose of seeking to obtain millions of dollars for himself. Uh, Avenatti released this tearful statement. I and I alone have destroyed my career, my relationships, and my life. Your Honor, I've learned that all the fame, notoriety, and money in the world is meaningless. TV and Twitter, Your Honor, mean nothing. But you destroyed a lot of lives in the meantime. You duped a lot of networks, and they gave you this huge platform without even Googling your background or talking to your clients. And now you go into prison, and your fake tan will gradually wear away. When we come back, uh, Admiral James Stavridis on the world's problems, including a nuking up of China and Russia together. They are modernizing their nuclear force. What does it mean for us? New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The United States did what we went to do in Afghanistan to get the terrorists to attack us on 9-11 and deliver justice to Osama bin Laden and to degrade the terrorist threat to keep Afghanistan from becoming a base from which attacks could be continued against the United States. We achieved those objectives. That's why we went. We did not go to Afghanistan to nation build. True. Uh, joining us now is the Supreme Allied Commander, knows the region very well, led to surge one, at one point uh, during the Obama years. Admiral James Chavides, uh, thanks so much for joining us. What's your reaction to what President Biden did yesterday and announced, and that statement in particular? I think that it's correct to say we accomplished the mission but the mission isn't over. In other words, uh, people ask me all the time, gosh, wasn't Afghanistan a big waste of time? And, you know, I would look any of the families of the fallen in the eye and say, no, your son or daughter went there and accomplished a mission for 20 years. There's been no attack on the United States. We accomplished that mission. We found and killed Osama bin Laden. But here's the point, Brian, the mission is not over. And what I worry about going forward is once we pull out, can the Afghan security forces hold on to the major population centers and can they prevent a resurgence of al-Qaeda? And on that, I think the jury is out. Well, um, he feels differently. Uh, Listen to this. Here's Joe Biden uh, about what he thinks they're capable of doing Cut 19. I want to be clear. The U.S. military mission in Afghanistan continues through the end of August. We remain, we retain personnel and, ca- and capacities in the country, and we maintain some authority, to, excuse me, the same authority under which we've been operating for some time. He went on to say that he says they have 300,000 security forces. They're as well-equipped as any army in the world. Admiral Stavridis, are they? They are as well-equipped as any comparable um, non-first-world army in the world. They have very high-end equipment. The question is, do they have the will, the spirit, and the leadership to use that equipment to fight effectively? Look, I'll I'll put in a percentage on this, Brian, Um, and obviously this is based not only on four years in command of that mission but also continuing to observe it closely. I think there's a one-in-three chance— that it comes out reasonably well, and that may surprise people at the moment, but one in three that the Afghan security forces, if we fund them, if we provide over-the-horizon support, if we provide training from over-the-horizon, I think there's a one in three chance they can hold it together. But I think there's, you got to be honest here, I think there's a two in three chance the wheels come off this thing, and then it turns into a civil war with all that military equipment floating around, a nation of 35-plus million people trapped in the center of it, not going to be a very pretty picture. So that's how I would score it. There's already talk. China's already moving in along with Russia. They've had their meetings in Russia. The Taliban said we're not going to – we're going to make sure no attacks are staged from our soil. And we see this in this statement. I, if you look at it strategically, well, who are our enemies? China, Russia, and Iran. Where is Afghanistan located? Right between all of them. What did we do? We built bases there. We've secured them, sophisticated equipment there. Why would we leave that areas of influence? The president 
decided, uh, and that's his function as the commander in chief to make these kind of decisions that he did not want to continue an American footprint in that country going forward. I think it's a strategic miscalculation that will cost us in the long term, uh, not only from the perspective of a resurgence of terrorism, but um, as you put it correctly, the opportunity costs of not having uh, that kind of capability in the dead center of the neighborhood where great power competition is going to unfold right in front of us. Congressman so, of Florida, you know well Michael Waltz, he serves as Green Beret yeah. and assistant aide to Dick Cheney, uh, said this to the question he has for, uh, the, for the president, Cut 23. I disagree with so many aspects of, of uh, President Biden's justification there. You know, I would ask him, did he think it's uh, worthwhile uh, that we've been in South Korea and Germany and Japan for 70 years, yeah. that we've had soldiers actually down in Colombia for 40 years, uh, helping train and advise their militaries, uh, providing assistance and support, and then also in our national interest, having a presence that we can take care of, of business uh, when we need to. So I do think it's in our national interest. I pushed uh, for a small presence that can provide counterterrorism, uh, where half the world's terrorists still exist, and the intelligence community is clear. They do intend to hit the United States again. So, I mean, did did he bring up thoughts that you can agree with and worries? He did. He did indeed, and I'll add another one. It's the Balkans. Um, you may remember, Brian, uh, back when you were sure. in junior high school, uh, the Balkans were kind of on fire. There were hundreds of thousands killed, 4,000 men and boys killed in Srebrenica over a couple of day period, the siege of Sarajevo. Um, NATO, the United States engaged. We created a much better situation. It's not perfect, but yeah, we still have a mission there as well. So the bottom line here, I think, is uh, good deal, bad deal, pulling out. We can have that debate. It's a done deal. The president is not going to go back so the question is, what do we do going forward? And I think here we've got to provide the financial support, the contractor support to keep the Air Force flying, the diplomatic engagement. We can do that with our allies. We can share those costs. And, and here's the tactical one that I worry about the most, Brian. If there is a resurgence and if our CIA operatives who are going to, believe me, still be on the ground, still be doing what they do, when they are telling us, Al-Qaeda is coming back, and we have to go in there. Where is that over-the-horizon capability going to come from? You know, I'm a Navy admiral. I've commanded carrier battle groups at sea. Normal answer, come from the carriers. It's a long way to the ocean from Afghanistan, a landlocked country. So this is a tactical problem that the Pentagon's got to solve, got to have solutions, got to be prepared. You know, we can hope it's going to get better, but hope is not a strategy. It isn't. Uh, Kabul will be harder to take. Uh, are you yes. convinced that they could put up a fight there, that there might be a willingness to fight there? I absolutely am. And what we ought to recognize as we watch the Taliban very effectively moving through uh, any number of these uh, provincial areas, the big population centers, including, of course, Kabul, almost half the nation's population is in and around Kabul, but also Kandahar, uh, Kunduz, uh, Herat out in the West. Um, these major cities 
are guarded by the high end of the Afghan security forces, which I would put at about 100,000 out of the 300,000. These are all volunteers, by the way, in the Afghan security forces. So I think there's probably 100,000 of them, 70,000 who will fight and fight hard. And, and Brian, we have a saying in the military that defense is to offense is one is to three. In other words, it's a lot harder to be on offense and coming into a big fortified city like Kabul than it is to just be zorching through the countryside. Uh, so much of Afghanistan looks like the moon with gravity. Um, <laughs> nobody's there. But those big population centers, they can be defended. Again, it'll come down to will, um, leadership. They do have the equipment. They do have the physical capacity. Uh, but Again, I think there's a two and three chance it does not turn out well. So when you look at China, and I know your, bo your book's about that, uh, 2034, a novel, The Next World War. When you look at China and you find out there's a story out today, and I believe you, you'll confirm this, that the Pentagon believes that the modernization of the nuclear force for Russia and China is significant and forcing us to really make a move if we want to keep up. Why, are they feel, why do they feel a nuclear, sophisticated nuclear offense is a priority? Uh, first, they look at our capability in that regard. And so much of why nations purchase and develop strategic nuclear weapons has to do with looking at the competition. This is the same reason both India and Pakistan have nuclear weapons. This is why Iran desperately wants a nuclear program, because they believe Israel has a very capable one. So first answer is the competition when they look at us. And secondly, China and Iran are drawing closer and closer together, Brian. That's a trend we got to worry about and watch. Um, they're going to be sharing information as well as technological solutions, as well as geopolitical advances. The strategic arms is a portion of that platform of those two nations drawing closer together. Are you, are you as concerned about China and Russia? I am deeply concerned about both of them, but particularly when I see the growing relationship between President Xi and President Putin. Uh, these are two folks right out of Jerry Maguire. They complete each other, two authoritarian nations uh, developing their militaries, working together to pick the kind of systems that would be most dangerous for the United States. It's a deep worry as we get further on into this century. Josh Rogan writes in the Wall Street Journal today that uh, Wall Street, the Wall Street uh, actually woke in the Washington Post, I should say, but Wall Street finally woke up uh, that investing in China is not something they can possibly recommend. It all came down to this IPO that they offered, this DD app, and they offered this app to the App Store, and all of a sudden China pulled it back while it was on the New York Stock Exchange. And no longer can Wall Street say, well, China earns us money, so we're not going to worry about what's happening geopolitical. Things change. Uh, now even, you know, big names like Jim Cramer, uh, he's a now a China skeptic. They're pushing, pulling money out because China's now all over their so-called private industry and affecting it. I think this could be a great thing, don't you? What you're going to see here over time is the Chinese Communist Party continuing to get a grip on the big Chinese companies. They are firmly going to do that. And it's because although they talk a lot about capitalism, um, they still want and will have significant state control going forward. So this is an aspect that uh, firms are going to have to think about very carefully. 
investment by investment, sector by sector, industry by industry, as they look at China. Uh, Admiral, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay, Brian, have a great weekend. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Admiral James uh, Stavridis uh, hanging out there uh, in and around the country, but very concerned about what's happening to our country and our national defense. When we come back, uh, we'll take some of your calls, one 408 7669 You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Hey, let's go to the phone, see how many calls we can get in. Joe, listen to WRCN on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. How are you? Good. Happy you agree summer. with the president. You, have the pre- you agree with the president on Afghanistan. I do, and you know I think Biden's an illegitimate president. I've been very strong about that. Uh, but I absolutely think it's a good thing. Trump uh, wanted to start pulling us out of there, said it, and Biden kept it up. I think it's fantastic. Uh, you're not going to change thousands of years of ideology in two decades. We've spent enough money, billions, wasted, corruption over there, fictitious gas stations being built. We cannot police the world. I 100% agree, and I don't want to see any more uh, soldiers come home and body bags. Hey, hey Joe, is it in our focus. interest to, to stop the next al-Qaeda attack, the next ISIS hit? Is it in our interest to know what China, Russia, and Iran is up to? Is it in our interest to turn Afghanistan over to Russia and China? They're already moving in. Yeah, of course, but we, we logistically we can't do it no more. Yeah, we can. We need to focus Why on, can't we? On We're in a supporting right? role. We're in a supporting role. We lost well, two guys in two years. We're going to play whack-a-mole all over the world? No, we would take two guys in two years, Joe. Two guys in two years. We put $89 billion into that airport we just gave up. $89 billion. And we just said, okay, you can have it. We're leaving in an hour. And they ransacked it. I appreciate where you're coming from. I know most people agree with you, Joe. I I just, I know I'm right. Uh, Javon in Pittsburgh. Hey, Javon. Hey, uh, yeah, basically, uh, I mean, you're calling for a war to send other people's troops over there. Is your kid going over there to fight, man? I mean, this war should have been over, man. The only it's, people that's profiting are private contractors. Javon, I think that's a good point. If it was a hot war 20 years in, I'd say yeah. But now this has turned into occupation, like uh, Admiral Stravitis said, like the Balkans. We, get, we gained tremendously from South Korea, Japan, and Germany, our presence there. Uh, we have influence in the area, and unfortunately, that's where our enemies are. Why would we take our eyes and ears off our enemies? Because it's costing too much. In what is, the, co- in the what is it costing it's too much? Cool. What is the next World Trade Center? How much is that going to cost? I, 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 I don't think that's going to happen again. How do you I, know? I think we, we got it to the point over there that that's not going to happen again, and it's time to withdraw. At some is point is Russia withdraw, and Iran and, and China are an enemy of America? We got to worry about our own interests, man. But that is and our, our interest. interest. It is our interest to keep our eyes on our enemy. Uh, well, I, I disagree. I think we should get out of there. Because, right and and just give it just just like let's just forget about 
uh, Islamic extremists. Let's forget it. Let's forget about China, Russia, and Iran. Hey, well, well, tell somebody's kid that might be killed over there because we're still lingering around. We've lost there. more people in domestic military accidents over the last two years than we've done in the last two years in Afghanistan. We lost two guys. Yeah, but you don't know how that's going to ramp up, though, the next couple of years. That could ramp up to a, a point to where it's another war and we're stuck there again. Well, you know, okay. Are you looking at that? Well, anything could happen at any moment, just like our towers could fall in downtown New York City. It looks like the Pentagon could get hit. And those were, those were a bunch of guys at flight school. Hey, I have a question for you, Brian. I've noticed that over the past six months, you changed your rhetoric on the vaccine. No, Before uh, on the vaccine? Kamala Harris and Batten for uh, so-called undermining the Operation Warp, Warp Speed under Trump. Now it seems like you're trying to undermine. Uh, I, I, I welcome Javon. I, I welcome this. I welcome this opportunity to clarify. Then, I am for the vaccine, but I'm not going to tell Javon in Pittsburgh to do it. I said make it available as soon as it became available to everyone, rich, poor, male, female, uh, uh, from one coast to the next. You make it available. You do PSAs, but I don't want you knocking on my door. I don't want you telling me I'm fired unless I get it. I don't want you telling me I can't go to school unless I get it. They have gone crazy now getting into our life. Now, we know the risk. If Javon in Pittsburgh Pittsburgh decides to get it or not get it, you shouldn't do it because of me. But if they really think that Republicans aren't getting it, then be honest and say— it was actually made under the Trump administration, and it was expedited under the Biden administration. That will let everybody forget about the rhetoric. So I, I welcome that opportunity to clarify. I'm sorry if I was not clear on that. Okay, now now I know because, uh, yeah, we, we got to get it in the arms, man. I mean, it's the only way we're going to be free. Uh, Republicans want to, to be open and, and business rolling. That's the only way it's going to happen. Uh, I hear you, but I also just talked to the father of a 17-year-old who now has uh, an inflamed heart because of it. And if I'm the one, the reason they did it, I'm not qualified to tell them. I can't carry that burden. And I think that Biden should be investigating things that have gone wrong, too. Because that parent that wants to protect their kid now got the exact opposite result. But but I'm pro-vaccine, but I'm not going to tell you to get it. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're going to end the show with more to know. We're actually going to have Clay Travis on. He was called out. Uh, by a, C- a former CNN anchor saying she was the, he was the reason she was fired. Does he believe that? Clay Travis coming up. Uh, Greg Palcott from Kabul. You want to find out what's going on on the ground as we pull out after yesterday's presser? Greg Palcott is there. Shannon Bream standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Our military mission in Afghanistan will conclude on August 31st. Our military commanders advised me that once I made the decision to end the war, we needed to move swiftly to conduct the main elements of the drawdown. And in this context, speed is safety. I guess so. President Biden explains his rapid retreat from Afghanistan. An argument, yes. A good one filled with facts, no. I'll explain. Number two. 
When you come for our kids, it becomes personal. And certainly I will take every skill, every lesson that I've ever learned throughout my career and fight to ensure that our children all have an educational future that guarantees that they will be successful in life. Uh, legal analyst and parent Ian Pryor talking about CRT, yes, which is so critical to the future of our country. It now hits new emotional highs on both sides as they dig in. With a new school year about a month or so away, we have to get a winner, and it better be the right side, the patriotic side. Number one. The federal government has had to spend trillions of dollars to try to keep Americans alive during this pandemic, so it is absolutely the government's business. We want to give people a sense that they have the freedom to choose, but we hope hope they choose to live. Well, third shot, knock on doors, report to the government, vaccine status. This is totally out of control. Can someone tell the Biden administration, please, to back off? We've made our decision. We will live and die with it. It's none of your business. And joining us now, Shannon Bream, Fox News legal analyst, uh, anchor of Fox News at night, also author of Women of the Bible. Shannon, welcome. Back. Great to be with you. Happy Friday. Hey, back at you. What else are you doing today? Because I was rude enough not to ask last time, and I think <laughs> you were doing five shows. Well, no. I mean, I'm trying to keep up with your pace, but today only two. I'm doing special report and in Fox News at night. Nice. Uh, so, so you got kind of like a lazy day for yeah. you. That's sort ah. of like a vacation day. Yeah. And by the way, the dance party starts at one in the morning now, which is tough for General Keene. Yeah, but he's willing to do it. If we play the music he picks, he'll do it. Fantastic. All right. So Shannon, we could go a, a million different directions, but first on uh, the HHS secretary, here's what he said to CNN. Cut three. The federal government has had to spend trillions of dollars to try to keep Americans alive during this pandemic. So it is absolutely the government's business. We want to give people a sense that they have the freedom to choose. But we hope, hope they choose to live. We hope people make the right choices. We want them to have the right information. But we are America. We try to give people as much freedom and choice as possible. But clearly, when over 600,000 Americans have died... The best choice is to get vaccinated. In his mind, he quickly had to walk that back, saying that he's going to tell everyone to get vaccinated uh, some, and, and keep records. He said, some comments I made today are being taken out of context. To be clear, government has no database tracking. We're going to encourage people to step up and protect themselves and others by getting vaccinated. Look, if you, ha- if you have been vaccinated, you can't get it or spread it, infinitesimal chances. And if you, if you don't, that's your choice. They're worried about the variant spreading, but it's going to be stopped by the vaccine, Shannon. They should back off. 67% of eligible adults have gotten at least one shot. Over 50% have gotten two. The numbers are great. What's going on here? Well, there's so many things with that first statement, first of all, that he said the government has spent trillions of dollars. That's true, but who? those are our dollars. Like, we, those are tax dollars. It's not like the government just generated this out of thin air. Um, so that is taxpayer money. Does that mean that, you know, like all the military jets that the government has spent billions of dollars on, that you and I can take them for yes. a ride? Because I would like that. I mean, <laughs> that's just a dumb argument. But then also he says we want to give people the sense that they have a choice. That's creepy. We want them to have the sense that they have a choice. That's different than saying they've got a flat-out choice. Um, So, yeah, you're going to take some incoming on that. And if you have to go clarify the government doesn't have a tracking database, which a lot of people are going to raise their eyebrows about, um, that's on you. The thing is, you know with anything, like with kids trying to get them to eat their vegetables, the harder you push on something, the more people are going to be resistant to it. Some people, that's just going to be their personality. But also, if it's so great and it, it, it needs to be for everybody and there's no calculation about risk or anything else, 
Um, why are you having to push it so hard and do lotteries and give away trucks and shotguns and everything else? <laughs> um, just follow the science. That's what we've been told the whole time. For some people, this absolutely makes perfect sense. They are at great risk. They need to get the, the vaccine. We want to protect those people. For other people, you got to ask questions. I mean, we're talking about CDC's own data when you're talking about, you know, kids and 20-somethings um, who appear to be at almost immeasurable low risk. Um, and yet there are some potential side effects that are showing up with these vaccines. You have to be realistic and have that conversation. And when you want to just fast forward and gloss over those calculations that people need to be able to make for themselves, they have questions. They're very skeptical the more you push it. And if you show up at their house, uh, come on. And I'm, I'm worried about the five, you know, the, 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 for the five-year-old to the, to the 16-year-old. Why? I mean, we know about the stats now. We know the teachers have vaccinated the superintendents, and uh, you could have, you know, most of the adults that work in the lunchroom, they're all vaccinated. Don't worry about kids. And I'm worried about them mandating and saying you're not going to go to school unless you do. Mm -hmm. And they just don't have the studies back yet, and it's still experimental. Why are we even arguing about this? Yeah, and I think that there will there are already a lot of legal challenges out there winding their way through with respect to college kids. And I think if we're talking about elementary, middle school, high school, there are going to be more of those because, listen, the right to education in this country has been upheld many, many times and in many different ways. So if you're going to impose a government burden on that education in, in a way that you're saying experimental vaccine not yet fully FDA approved and fully tested and vetted for younger kids, um, I think parents are going to have a good case if they want to make one in the court. And, and by the way, this uh, Dr. Paul Offen was in a column today, I think the Wall Street Journal. They talked about this hype of the Delta variant, the Delta variant. Quote, there's no good evidence that this variant causes more serious disease. But he expressed concern that the large number of people who are unvaccinated, including uh, eligible kids, could fuel a winter wave of infections. But what since when are under 12s, strength under 12, causing any type of hospitalizations? It's almost zero. Yet there is a more people, uh, understand, having some problems with this. You know, a woman was on Laura last night, half her body's paralyzed. I interviewed a friend of mine from the, uh, my brother's friend from soccer days. His 19-year-old had no problem with it. His 17-year-old's got a swollen heart, uh, yeah. and he's not been able to recover. And they told him he's out for this soccer season, all because he got a vaccine after he already got the virus, perhaps. But we don't even study that. Well, yeah, that's a conversation to be had. I mean, I've got a very personal connection to one of those cases as well. And this is a very healthy, strong, fit, organic food eating, working out 20-something who now has been in and out of the hospital three times because of this. So um, there are questions. I mean, those are valid questions that we as an informed society and citizens who have a right to transparency from our government and government agencies, just to ask the questions, just to get the data. And listen, there's a lot of data out there. If you dig around through it for yourself, you can find answers. Um, and it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, you have some public officials make statements that don't seem to always line up with the hard data coming from their agency. Um, so this requires people to dig in for themselves. And like I said, the vaccine makes perfect sense for millions and millions and millions of people. But they're a smaller group that needs to ask the question about whether the potential risk for them is necessary. So we're talking about voting rights now. And in Texas, is getting down to the wire. We don't know if the Democratic delegation is going to walk out again. And in Georgia, they're saying, you know, they lost the All-Star game. That's going to be this week. We're going to talk about that again. And these aren't voting restrictions unless you're spinning. Uh, these are voting regulations that are after the pandemic. They were loosened up uh, in a, because everything was an anomaly mm -hmm. in 2020. Just tell that to Donald Trump. He knows it. So Kamala Harris realizing these 
the, the, the national legislation is not going to fly. She announced this yesterday. It looks like they're going to put something about $24 million from the Democrat in the DNC to push back against voting restrictions they claim Republicans are doing. Cut 41. So far this year, 17 state legislatures have enacted 28 new laws that will make it harder for Americans to vote. These bills now, be clear about enacted, these bills have already become law. They are now on the books. This all is designed, I believe, to make it harder for you to vote so that you don't vote. So this is going to be the spin, and if they do get slaughtered in this next election, which could very well happen, they're going to say it's all because those Republicans stop minorities from voting. How do you stop this messaging? Well, first of all, I, I'm not saying there's no one, but I would love to meet these people who can't figure out how to vote because there are states that, if they require IDs, will literally come to your house, pay for the whole thing, and get you an ID. Yep. Um, you can look up what precinct you're supposed to be in. You can be directed to the correct precinct. There are days and weeks in many states in advance that you can vote. So I honestly, I'm not saying that there aren't, you know, some people out there, I'd like to hear from them, though, because I don't understand where this problem is. The good thing, I think, for these states um, that they have going for them is now the DOJ is suing Georgia over its law. But I think for people who support Georgia's law, it could actually be a good thing because in a courtroom, there's no hype. I mean, you're going to read the text of the statute. You're going to look at the facts. What does it say about giving people water in line? Who can? Who can't? Um, early voting, Sunday voting, all that stuff that's in the Georgia law, it may actually be good for Georgia that they're getting sued because, you know, it's different than the mainstream media or talking points. It's just the facts once you get into court. And and the truth is many of these um, election integrity right. uh, issues at the state level, dozens and dozens of states have these things, whether it's voter ID or certain days, those kinds of things. So are you saying that, you know, half the country you're going to go block and sue to block those laws or that they didn't bother you five years ago, but now they're a problem? Um, you know, I, I think that we just kind of an honest conversation about what's in these bills. Shannon, let's be honest. Everyone's watching you at 6 and then at 12. Shannon Bream, she's indefatigable, going to the week on a high. Cool. Shannon, thanks so much. I got to get out my Webster's Dictionary. Yeah. See you later. Bye. When we come back, we go to Kabul, Afghanistan. What's the reality on the ground after the president's presser yesterday? Greg Palcott live. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. But if we state that the Taliban is not uh, gradually becoming a more trustworthy organization, what we're finding is that we have other priorities. We can manage the situation with, with new technology, and hopefully we don't have to find our way back there. Uh, but I think this is the right thing to do. It's a painful, it's a tough decision. Uh, and I expect the military to have countered the president some on this, but hopefully they reach a, an agreement within our military and White House that if there's a problem, we can get back and get back quickly. And let's hope that, that we don't have to go back. I don't think we're going to be able to get back there quickly. It's landlocked. It's not like we have a place in Kuwait that we could sit there and stage uh, from. But Harold Ford trying to make the Democratic argument is always effective. Uh, I just don't buy into it. Joining us now from Cabo, Greg Pal. Uh, excuse me, he'll be joining us shortly from Kabul, Greg Palcott. He's a Fox News senior foreign affairs correspondent. And what Greg has done, 
Uh, and what Greg has done is land in Kabul within 24 hours. He hopped on the air with us, was able to go on the streets and talk to the Afghan people about really what it's, you know, what we're leaving behind. Right now, we're seeing so much footage of the Taliban taking up these rural areas and taking control who are well-armed, it looks like. And sadly, not only are these Afghan forces running, but they're leaving our stuff behind. So let's go to Greg Palcott. Greg, uh, 24 hours ago, you were in London, and now I, I, you're in Kabul. How's it going? Astounding stuff, uh, Brian. Yeah, we've been on the ground just about 12, 14 hours, and uh, we are getting an earful about this Taliban offensive. They claim today, uh, Brian, that they've uh, taken 85 percent of the country. That is a wild exaggeration. Your, your, your listeners need to calm down about that. But they at least have a third of it, and that's a really upsetting folks here, uh, as well as the Afghan military that's not performing. They're surrendering. They're fleeing. And a big thing that we heard today, Brian, is the upset about the U.S. troops exit or the manner in which they left, the speed in which they left. A lot of people here think that that has helped encourage the Taliban to start their move. Absolutely. So they're not popular. The Taliban aren't a popular force. They're just oppressive and they got the guns and they're ruthless, right? Well, exactly. And in some places, uh, Brian, uh, there was such uh, upset with the government here, corrupt, uh, not responding to the people, et cetera. Is that true? Is that true? want to go back again and go to the Taliban. Is it true? The, cover, the government is corrupt, not in touch with the people? There are a lot of questions about that. There, there truly is. Uh, they, the president, uh, Ghani, is uh, said to be quite out of touch. Some critics of him uh, call him delusional. So, yeah, there are problems on a lot of different levels here, Brian. Um, is there a military presence around you in Kabul? There is uh, remaining here about 1,000 uh, U.S. troops, and uh, from what we heard from President Biden, they're going to be staying here a little bit longer than he had thought. He wanted to get everybody out in the next couple of days, but I think he's gotten such flack, and this Taliban offensive is moving so fast, they're recalibrating a little bit, but uh, it, it's reduced now, Brian. So he said yesterday, we've trained up 300,000 Afghan forces. They're among the most finest equipped in the world. Is that how is that how Greg Palka would describe him? Not from all reports that we're seeing, Brian, uh, fleeing and by their thousands into neighboring countries, uh, basically surrendering without a fight in, in many cases. Uh, we have spent, not just us, but NATO allies have spent so many man hours and so much money to train these guys up, and they're just not moving. Uh, the, the talk now is to, that other militias, civilian militias, will be rounded up to try to deal with the Taliban that, that people don't re- really love. So, And that all that spells. Brian, is civil war and a real chaos. Is it going to be very hard to take Kabul? I think it will. Uh, Now, Kabul is 6 million people. It's a much different city than it was uh, 20 years ago when the Taliban was running things. In fact, by the way, Brian, that was the last time I was here. That was the first time I was here 20 years ago. Uh, it is a different city, and it's going to be harder. But uh, uh, the Taliban is, uh, is biding its time and uh, looking for its opportunities. What about China and Russia coming in and, and taking advantage of the vacuum? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's astounding. The Taliban was in uh, Tehran. 
Iran yesterday, uh, the day before. Uh, they're in Moscow today. Uh, they're reassuring everybody that they're not going to do anything to impact uh, Russia or China or, or, or India or Iran. Uh, they, they know that they have a pretty good hand that they're playing right now. And the U.S. is uh, more and more out of the picture in this absolutely, as, as your listeners know, crucial regional strategic area. So here, I want you to hear what Michael Waltz, uh, well, actually, I don't want to take time away from you, so I won't let you hear it, but basically he says, we're not in a rush to get out of Germany, Japan, and South Korea. It's to our strategic uh, security to do it. Why would we remove bases we paid for that give us a purview into Iran, China, and Russia? Why would we give this up? They're making. He's making exactly the point that I was making to folks for the last few days. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in South Korea. We have 35,000 troops there. Remember, we fought the war back in 1950. I mean, the uh, casualty figures were low. The possibility of just keeping a couple of thousand U.S. troops in a couple of places, A, would help the Afghan government, and B, would help us keeping an eye on things because— as the Taliban proceeds, the fear is that al-Qaeda could once again come in behind them, and so could the Islamic State. So, yeah, there's real concerns about that. Greg, Haka, Greg Palkot in Kabul. Greg, could you walk the streets now without security? Uh, we have security when we move around Kabul. It is, however, uh, a different place than uh, at certain points. Uh, the the uh, bombings, the uh, attacks inside the city are not as heavy as a couple of years back. But uh, who knows where the next few months might hold. Greg Palka, I can't thank you enough. Uh, great courage going in there, reporting from there. Greg, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Greg, uh, Greg Palka is actually from Garden City, Long Island, originally, even though he speaks the King's English, located in London today. Clay Travis is next. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They let a false narrative persist about our show that um, people just kind of ran away with. They let the idiots in the room control the conversation. People like Clay Travis. That's what happened. And because they allowed those people to direct their course of action, they panicked. And suddenly they were very intentional about the things that they were doing in our show. They wanted black faces. They didn't want necessarily black voices. And that's how it came off. So Jamel Hill describing to uh, uh, to uh, Paul Abitard, I believe that's him, on his radio show, why she was let go from ESPN and she blamed that idiot Clay Travis. I don't think he's an idiot. But for more on this, let's ask Clay Travis if he feels like he's an idiot. Outkick founder and president. He's got a great show starting in 15 minutes, and he's all over this channel, too. Uh, Clay, what's your reaction to being called that? Well, I mean, I'm married. I've been called an idiot for most of my life, uh, Brian. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, this, is not, uh, this is not the first time uh, anyone, a woman has called me an idiot. Trust me. Sometimes my wife would probably uh, agree with you now. Uh, but I mean, look, she's she's wrong here, um, and uh, and the reason she's wrong is, and 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 look, I, I I sometimes feel that people become captured by social media, um, and I understand it on some level. I think it's a big story. It's one I kind of wonder should it be the next book that I write. When you're on your phone all day, and when you have notifications turned on, and people are constantly talking about you. 
it can make you feel like that is the real world. I'm sure this has happened to you, Brian, when you're trending and all of a sudden your phone blows up and everybody's got an opinion about something that you have said, both pro or con. Um, it, it like kind of sucks you into the idea that Twitter is the real world and it's all that matters. And certainly there are a lot of people like you and me who work in media that are intensely hyper online in that culture. But what I always try to remind myself of is we're talking about 10% of the population that's really very active on Twitter. And what I've always used the, the analogy of is Twitter is like a carnival funhouse mirror. And if you've ever been one of those old school carnival funhouses, if you stand in front of the carnival funhouse mirror and try to judge whether you're in good shape based on the funhouse mirror, you might look like you're really fat. You might look like you're really skinny. And it's giving you a distorted vision of the reality. And I think that's what Twitter is doing for everybody, people in media, people who are executives, uh, companies, uh, PR folks, like everybody is treating Twitter as if it's a representative reality of life. When in, in, in the truth is, it isn't at all. Well, Clay, first off, what did you do? You just spoke out about her speaking out. She says that ESPN doesn't want wants black faces, not black voices. Really? Has she watched ESPN lately? <laughs> well, I mean, again, what I'm saying with with Jamel is, I think she's fallen victim to believing that Twitter is real life, and uh, and if you did that, uh, you would be far, far left-wing and far, far out of touch with what the real viewer is, right? There's a difference between Jamel Hill. No, no, I hear you, Clay. No, 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 I hear you. But she got, she did get let go from ESPN. They basically said, take your talent elsewhere. And she believes yeah. it's because people were critical of her being critical of them. No, what, what I'm saying is that the numbers are a reflection of why she got yeah. let go. Uh, there were less viewers. And she got sucked into the idea that trying to make Twitter happy was going to result in more people watching ESPN. And the vast majority of people watching ESPN are not on Twitter following, uh, you know, left-wing internal debates all day. Uh, They want to get home at the end of the day. They want to crack a beer and they want to see who won the game, what the latest news is. And I think ESPN and many other companies have lost their way by making Twitter their lodestar and using that as evidence of what the audience as a whole wants from them. I hear you. Uh, the other big controversy at ESPN, I know you commented on this a little bit, Rachel Nichols left her camera on, and she had called an advisor, a high-powered agent advisor to LeBron James, to kind of rant about the fact that Maria Taylor, who, by the way, is great too, very good on camera, uh, is taking uh, is taking a lot of her airtime away, even though she's supposed to be hosting the NBA playoffs for ESPN. Uh, and then that got out. Some idiot in the uh, in the control room sends the tape around. Then it gets to the New York Times. They write a big story on it. Maria Taylor's not speaking uh, to Rachel Nichols. The whole company's divided about who likes her, who doesn't. You know most of these players. Rachel Nichols went on camera and still got pulled off uh, NBA final coverage. Listen to what she said, Cut 48. So the first thing they teach you in journalism school is don't be the story. And I don't plan to break that rule today or distract from a fantastic finals. But I also don't want to let this moment pass without saying how much I respect, how much I value our colleagues here at ESPN, how deeply, deeply sorry I am for disappointing those I hurt, particularly Maria Taylor, and how grateful I am to be part of this outstanding team. How did we get here? And why was she still removed after doing that? 
Well, first of all, I think ESPN executives blew it. They had a year to solve this issue. And I think, frankly, the New York Times got played in the way that they put this story out there. It's pretty clear that Maria Taylor is just angling for as much money as she possibly can get. And this was a negotiating ploy. Anytime I always say uh, a story benefits someone and they aren't quoted, it's probably a pretty good chance that they are uh, that they have their fingerprints all over that story. And I think that's what happened here. I think ESPN executives failed in not getting both of these women into a room and getting this squashed and resolved at some point last year. Uh, I, I think certainly uh, Rachel Nichols has got uh, major issues now in her career since this has gone public. And Brian, I would imagine, you can imagine, empathize in some way too, uh, that she had to be terrified for the past year that at some point in time this tape was going to come out. She knew it existed. She knew what she had said. Um, and uh, that her career would be in danger in many ways, particularly as it pertains to covering the NBA, if it ever did come out. And so I suspect that ESPN is going to end up having to cut a big check to Rachel Nichols uh, because she'll threaten a lawsuit over this tape and the fact that it went out and and, and what has happened as a result. Uh, And uh, I I think Maria Taylor is going to get way more money than she would have if this tape hadn't come out, which means that ironically – She's going to be rewarded while getting to play the victim card, which is maybe the preferred perspective of almost anyone in America today. She was asking for $5 million. They said, we're not going to be paying you that. Then this tape comes out, and she her, her contract's up on Game 7 of the world. Yeah. So I think I, I assume they're going to be end up paying her. How's that going to look if they let her go? Uh, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I think ESPN's in an awful place because if they keep her, uh, then she has extorted them uh, for far more money than she's worth. Uh, if they uh, if they let her go, then uh, then they look racist. So, <laughs> I mean, they are really in a rough spot. This is what you pay management for to uh, to recognize what spot they could be in and to have solved this. Now, the ESPN's uh, defense, they may think that Maria Taylor on the open market she makes a million dollars a year now per reports. They may think that she's only worth two or three million dollars, and I think that's probably true because I'm not sure very many people tune in to see her. She's not Stephen A. Smith. She's not Skip Bayless, uh, someone whose opinion is the reason why people turn on the television. And uh, and and so I suspect they probably thought they were overpaying her at uh, at the offer they made. She said she wants eight million dollars a year. I mean, that is uh, to me that is high. Uh, that's basically extortion, Brian. Oh, it's eight million. Wow. Excuse me, I did not know I was lowballing. She her. turned down five. Yes, yeah, she turned down five million a year, reportedly from ESPN. Yeah. How do you live on that? And Rachel Nichols, <laughs> who, who you say people have said she's as woke as it gets, as left wing yeah, as as possible, and Stephen Jackson, who happens to be, be great friends with George Floyd in life. Evidently, they were teammates. It's got a small world. He goes to bat for Rachel Nichols. Yeah, look, uh, politics sometimes has strengths, bedfellows for sure. But look, this to me in some way is indicative of what can happen if you're inside of any company that has a diversity and inclusion narrative and you try to be the woke white person who is an ally, as uh, as we are all taught that uh, that should happen in this anti-racist ideology and wackiness or wonkiness uh, that's being shared on a daily basis. And sometimes that can be what happened with Rachel Nichols here. It's a little bit like being the last uh, last person left who's trying to befriend the lion. At some point, the lion just decides it's hungry and it's going to eat you. Um, and I think that's what happens at woke corporations. Uh, this is what happens uh, as a result of, you know, I think on some level, Donald Trump not being president. Uh, because instead of uh, having the great Satan, as the left wing has decided, to ally themselves 
ultimately these identities start fighting when you have two different victim-based identities. Who's the bigger victim? Is it the white woman or the black woman? Uh, Maria Taylor has trumped uh, her card here because the big story here is Rachel Nichols saying, hey, your diversity initiative, I can't be the one who loses out. And that's the, the great hypocrisy here in general of the woke culture, right? People love the idea of, uh, you know, in, in inclusiveness and diversity. But these woke white people who suddenly realize that they're going to be the ones who yes. have to give up something for it. It's amazing how quickly they, they, they change their tune. Oh, no, no. I'm in favor of diversity inclusion. Just don't take my things to give uh, greater diversity inclusion. Clay, you got to be out now because you have a show to do in 15 minutes. Congratulations on getting it, replacing Rush. Uh, and it sounds great. And thanks so much for joining us now. Hey, I appreciate you all having me. Thanks a lot. Uh, Outkick founder and president, uh, Clay Travis, also a Fox News contributor. When we come back, we'll find out if you indeed need to know more. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I wish I knew how this pandemania started, but my entire lifetime we've been fascinated with pandas and their procreation. I don't, I have no interest in pandas. I don't care if they're all dead tomorrow. I think it had to do what? I don't need pandas. We have Kodiak. Oh my gosh, you're going to have so many pandas coming after you. Oh, by the way, I even talked about pandas today because I have good news. My hatred of pandas has now has going to a natural death. Why? Because pandas are no longer classified as endangered. Therefore, they're not newsworthy. This story has been confirmed. China came up with the panda. They mail them out for PR purposes. They let zoos have them. Then they take them back. The problem is they don't want to procreate. And it's not my issue. Evidently, they're too exhausted. We have 1,800, which means they are downgraded from endangered to no longer endangered. China has spent a half century attempting to boost the population they finally have been successful we're done with pandas well brian here's the thing are you suddenly now believing chinese officials because back in 2016 like you said they were already off the list but well you should pull uh, okay you should pull <laughs> my comments from the, the tv show i know you're radio oriented allison but you should yes. pull my comments from the tv show today you'll understand they are done as a news story if you choose to put Panda in the news, that's because you like them. They are not newsworthy. They're not endangered. Well, to be fair, we did play back the cuts you played uh, from TV, what, in two it's years ago. It's amazing you found that. Them. I forgot I said yeah. that. Uh, let's find out <laughs> if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Two American mercenaries were arrested along 15 Colombians. How does this happen? For assassinating the Haiti president uh, and almost killing his wife. Eight suspects have been wrangled up. Haitian police identified James Salagas and Joseph Vincent as two citizens suspected in the assassination plot. Why they want to kill him, I don't know. What is it going to be for Haiti? Nothing good. I agree. I think as the plots come out, but I mean, yeah, and this, the country's a mess, as uh, Congressman uh, Fortenberry was telling us yesterday, so we should definitely follow this. All right, next, a deadly uh, surfside condo. You know about, all about that collapse. It's now become a recovery issue. Uh, the death toll has now risen to 64. There's still a lot of people missing. We thought we'd get people in the rubble. Again, it's proven much like the World Trade Center. Next. 
Using cash helps half of Americans budget their money better. No kidding. If cash would certainly help, that's my unofficial poll. But they did a poll of 1,500 Americans to analyze their payment preferences and discover that 51% believe using cash would help them budget their money. It's true. You don't feel like you're spending anything. You get direct deposit in. You swipe out. Now you touch out. You don't even know where the money is. But you could. It really just takes one extra step to look and pay attention. Well, I mean, just like looking at your bank account on oh, your phone. But that, it's easier it, than ever. But like, let's say you go into CVS. You go grab something. You're not like, well, I only have 20 bucks. I better not get that newspaper. I better not get that five-hour energy. Instead, you're like, I'll just swipe it, put it in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't feel real. And I will say this. The problem with the lack of money, you can't tip anybody. You know how many times I want to tip somebody? I have no cash around. Ever. I think that sounds like a convenient excuse for you not to tip someone. That is not true. I'm a big tipper. <laughs> Next. You are. All right. Memories of the past whereabouts are frequently faulty. Get this. A new study finds that people's recollections of their past whereabouts are incorrect. Australian researchers, because an American would never do this, tracked the locations of 51 people who had volunteered for the project for a total of one month. Incredibly, when the study, uh, when study authors asked participants to remember their movements from the past month, their recollections, recollections were wrong roughly 36% of the time. What does that say? I mean, I think it says we all have too much going on in our lives, and it's, you know, we can only remember so much. You we only want to remember, remember certain things, detail. but what does it tell you for investigators? You try to look into a crime, right? Well, really, where were you the other day? I don't know. I could take a guess. I really forgot. Now we can That's actually believe people. Sources. The hey, story you- that you told us when you scored four touchdowns in high school football, right. that didn't happen. You recollected it from an episode of Married with Children. Right. It turns out it was soccer and right. it was uh, touchdowns. They only count them as one point. Next, the National Spelling Bee champ's name, Zayela Avant Garday. Let's Zahila Avant-Garde, if you spell this next word correctly, we will declare you the 2021 National Scripps National Spelling Bee champion. The word is Maria. It's a genus of tropical Asiatic and Australian trees having pinnate leaves and flowers with imbricated petals. Does this word contain like the English name Murray, which could be the name of a comedian? Or just the English name in general? I don't see that here. Bill Murray made the spelling bee. Maria. M-U-R-R-A-Y-A. That is correct. <laughs> She became the first African-American champion in a long time, the 14-year-old, actually ever. She's 14, became the first winner from the state of Louisiana as well, along the way becoming the first uh, black American to win in 93 editions of the contest. She spelled words like queerabonious, <laughs> solid, un- you, you're good at this, Eric. Tell me if I'm getting this right. You're not, uh, solid, ungulat. I wouldn't even know where to start with that except the S. And Napita. The only other black winner was Jamaica's uh, Jody Ann Maxwell back in 1998. That, but to Brian, me... have you seen? Was it, did you see the videos of her Guinness World Records with the basketball? I heard about this. Unbelievably talented. They're incredible. She was just on with Dana too. Maybe we'll pull that out from Monday. Next, Tyson Fury testing positive for COVID-19. It postpones. Uh, his Dante Wilder rematch. It would have been the third time these two were fighting. You know, Tyson uh, Fury was named after Mike Tyson. He's a lot bigger. He's probably 6'7". Uh, so he tests positive. I don't think he had any symptoms. Uh, he just tested positive. Therefore, everybody 
everybody is is uh, for, uh, is forced to pay the price there. His cornerman Mark Breland forfeited by throwing in the towel. Uh, the last time they fought, Wilder won easily, but there was a sense that the upset by Dante Wilder could be upset again. You're a big boxing guy, Pete. Does he have a shot, Wilder? I think if Tyson Fury keeps the same game plan, he wins again. Because that first fight, that was a draw. I think most people, I watched it, and I, I did scoring myself on this one just out of curiosity. I had Fury winning that even though he was knocked down twice by uh, Wilder. He's a better boxer, and usually the boxer beats the puncher. Absolutely true. Well, I got bad news. There's no more to know. <laughs> you know everything. I filled you up. Uh, from Kabul uh, to Clay... Uh, to Shannon, uh, filling up with uh, more to know and pandas. I dare you to find a show with more diverse topics, politically correct topics as well. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. Go to BrianKillMe.com or get a slice of history. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.